0: Well, good morning. As Jason mentioned, you could turn to Mark chapter 13. That's where we'll be today. And if you've been with us, maybe that sounds a little odd, and that would be because we've been going through the gospel of Luke. Um, That wasn't a mistake to be in Mark today, but um, what we're going to be doing is taking a short pause, just, just a few weeks from Luke, as we begin to look towards the fall. And I'm sure many of uh, your kids are back in school. For many of you, uh, work may take a bit of a shift after the summer, and and you begin to look ahead at the the coming months, the coming season, and put together a plan. What are we going to go through? What are we going to face? How do we prepare for what's ahead? And we wanted to do that as a church as well. And so today... We'll be doing that specifically in Mark chapter 13, but also as a church, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at our our church here, Crossroads, what are our our core values as a church, what's our mission and our vision, and where are we heading as we look towards this next season ahead and what the Lord might have for us. Um, so we're going to spend a few weeks doing that, and then we'll jump back into Luke and we'll continue our study uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But today, more than just looking towards the fall, uh, I wanted to, to take a pause where as we look at the future unending, as we look at all that's going to take place in our lives, um, a common question that's come up, a common theme that I hear continually being discussed in, in groups is around the Lord's return. That might be this fall, I pray it is, uh, or that might be years down the road, and yet I think Jesus gives us a perfect instruction as to what we as believers should be found doing when He does return, and and how we should be doing it. And so, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 32, and what I want to do this morning is is we'll read the text and we'll open in prayer and then we'll jump in for what the Lord has for us. Mark 13, beginning in verse 32, here's what we read. It says, But of that day, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all watch. And Lord, as we come before your word this morning, God, we're watching. Lord, we're expecting that you're going to speak to us today through your word, because your word is alive, because your word is powerful, because your word endures forever. God, we pray that you would Speak to us this morning. Reveal your heart for us, your plan for us, your instructions to us, and I pray that we would be people with ears ready to hear, people who are doers of the word and not hearers only, people that are about your business upon your return, for your glory and your honor. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning and you'd like to write down a title, you could write this down, ready or not, ready or not. I know it's a phrase you've heard and you're you're left on the edge waiting for the second part of that because you've played hide and seek before. And no matter how much you struggle to find the perfect place to hide, I was doing this yesterday with my kids, and I'm like, okay, I want to hide hard enough that they can't find me right away, but not so hard so that they just give up looking for me, because that's happened before. And so I'm looking for a spot, and you're kind of thinking through some spaces, and, but the moment you hear from the other room, ready or not, here I come, you know things are about to get real, and you, it, time is up, I need, to, I need to hide, I need to do something. It's the true call to get serious about your hiding. The planning stage is over because they're coming. Well, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here to the disciples is an answer to a question they asked him that came with a full chapter we're not going to have time to go through in Mark thirteen about all the signs of the times that he will be coming, but essentially he's telling them you you may not know the day or the hour. In fact, you will not. Nobody knows it, but I'm coming. Ready or not, I'm coming, and I'm going to return, and how are you going to be found when I do? Now, this chapter started because I want to give you a little context. Uh, With Jesus making a pretty bold statement to the disciples as they were looking at the temple and being amazed by it, the beauty of it, these massive stones and all that it is. Jesus tells them, You see these great buildings? Well, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And for them, that's a significant statement to make. And so they're asking the question, Well, when is this going to happen? That's going to be a big deal when this temple crumbles to the point there's not even one stone on top of another. So when are these things going to take place? What will be the sign that all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus spends the entire chapter of Mark 13 telling them some of the signs to watch for that there would be mass deception and false messiahs. There would be wars and rumors of wars. There'd be nations and kingdoms rising against each other, natural disasters like earthquakes and famines throughout the land, the persecution of believers, the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist is placed in authority, declares himself to be God, and calls upon the people to worship him. Then many will flee to the hills, and there will be total darkness without the sun, the moon, and the stars to shine in the sky. And he gives them a parable. He explains to them the fig tree, and when you see the leaves, you know the season that's coming. The fig trees give evidence. It's almost summer. And the same way, he said, when you see all of these signs taking place, they're like the leaves on the fig tree. They're telling you something, that my return is coming soon. And it's within that context of saying, there's going to be all these very specific clear signs. And like leaves on a tree, they're going to point to a very important moment in all of human history, which is my return And he says, although you can see these signs clearly, as clearly as you could see the leaves on the fig tree, one thing you will not know is the day or the hour. And that's the contrast he begins our text this morning with when he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Nobody knows. In fact, he gives a, a more specific clarifying detail in case somebody goes, well, most people don't know. He says, nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. Even the angels in heaven, God's messengers, who seem very aware of a lot of things we have no idea about, he says, even they don't know. Even they are waiting and watching and unaware of when he's going to return. And then he makes this extreme statement by saying, even the Son doesn't know, except for the Father. That in his submission to the Father, he has restricted his knowledge of this event and his humanity. Now, this doesn't, however, as some would argue, discount the deity of Jesus. It demonstrates for us that in his incarnation, he accepted human limitations. The same reason we read that he was born a baby and that he increased in wisdom and stature as he grew up. He didn't just pop out a fully formed man with all the knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. He grew and he learned as we do. And we know that his deity is still intact because even the title he gives for himself here is not just the Son of Man, a title for the Messiah, but he just calls himself the Son. Revealing his own awareness of his relationship to the Father and them being one. But back to the main point he's making here. It's that no one knows the day or the hour. And yet, if you're familiar with church history, it is filled with people time and time again who try and tell you the day and the hour. William Miller, October 22nd, 1844, was the day the Lord was going to return, as he said. Hal Lindsey wrote the best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth, in which he predicted the Lord would return in 1988. Edgar Weisenant sold 4.5 million copies of his book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Going to Come Back by 1988. Well, Scripture gives us one very good reason why he's not returning in 1988, which is that no man knows the day or the hour. And don't get cute and think, well, maybe I'll just get the year and the month, right? Nobody knows. There are books about it, equations to try and explain it, and for some reason people continue to fight against the idea of not knowing the day or the hour that the Lord is going to return. But what's the significance of this fact for us today? What Jesus is saying, that not a single person in this room, no matter how much you study His Word or are in tune with His Spirit, none of us are going to know. I believe there are two common responses that each and every one of us are met with when we're told of an upcoming event without any kind of arrival date. You're told great news about something you're getting in the mail, but you don't know exactly when it's going to come. Or maybe you're told of something you fear in the future, a termination date with your job or a life expectancy date, and that day haunts you, though you never really know exactly when it's coming. I think there's two common responses that we as humans have, and one is to expectantly Hopefully and diligently keep watch for it. Now when my kids know there's something coming in the mail for them especially when it's a gift I walk in that door it's like, dad, here's the mail key let's go, right? Sure the mailman's been here let's go check and we'll check and then we go home and then they're about to go to bed can we go check again? I'm like, no more mail was delivered but they're expectant and they're watching and they're ready for it. Or And perhaps more commonly, especially if it's news we're not too excited to receive, we walk away apathetically, even even lazily, and we distract ourselves with other things. It'll come when it comes. I have no control over it, so whatever. I'm just going to put it out of my mind and distract myself with something else until it shows up. And this isn't just My opinion, Uh, we see this in Scripture as Jesus speaks about his return, even with the the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. The woman who's waiting, her her bridegroom is going to come, and there were those who were ready, those who were waiting, and those who didn't have enough oil and their lamps, who had to go and run and purchase some, and when they came back, it was too late. They weren't ready. Or the parable of the talents, and the master who leaves and returns, and there were those who were diligent, those who were faithful, and those who were dreading that day because they weren't faithful with what they'd been given. There are those who take an unknown date and allow it to call them into an urgency and an action because you understand that could be today. And others who take an unknown date date and walk away undisturbed because it could be decades from now and who really knows well jesus in our text this morning lays out for us the correct form of action every believer should be taking he says you should take heed you should watch and you should pray for you do not know when the time is the correct response every one of us should be making and i'll tell you what If Jesus said He was coming back soon in Scripture, and we're a couple thousand years beyond that point, we don't need to know the day or the hour to know we're a lot closer than they were. So if He was coming back quickly then, He's coming back very quickly now. And if there was a reason for them to be watchful and prayerful and to be found faithful when He comes back, how much more so is there a reason for us to be watchful and prayerful and faithful? Because we may not know how much time is left, but man, we've burned through 2,000 years since he said this. And he's coming quickly. Peter would echo Jesus' command for the people here in 1 Peter 4, 7 when he said, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And Peter would even go on to add a, Another command by stating, above all, have fervent love for one another. And so we're going to look at these instructions of Jesus today, and and part of that is because of the time we live in. And when we read all of the descriptions in Mark 13 of everything that will take place, You begin to look at that list, and you can just kind of check it all off, can't you? You're like, okay, well, we we see that happening. Well, yeah, we see a lot of that taking place. Yeah, rumors of wars, yes, natural disasters, absolutely, mass deception, that's happening. Like, you can just go down and go, wow, Lord, you could really come at any moment. But what often happens, unfortunately, is that a lot of people, even within the church, begin to go, yeah, but nobody knows, I don't want to get caught up in all of that, and they just ignore it altogether, or others who get so invested in this topic that any new advancement in technology is the mark of the beast, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It's a new toothbrush, and it's like, don't you dare buy that. It's $66.66. Don't touch that. Stay away from that. I think there's a better method for us if we take the biblical approach here, Say, Lord, what did you call us to do? How did you call us to act as we see that day approaching? And the first thing he says is, well, you need to take heed. You need to look. You need to beware. You need to take care because this is serious business in the eyes of Jesus. Because we can look at Scripture and see all that's going to unravel when he does return and the, the church is caught up with him and then the tribulation period that will take place Things are going to get intense very quickly. And eternity is on the line for people. And so he says, You need to take heed. It's not something to joke about, it's not something to toss aside as if it doesn't matter. It's certainly not something to ignore or forget. Like trespassing on private property or walking up and approaching an electric fence. There's a sign that rightfully calls you to beware because grave danger awaits the person who doesn't. Jesus here is saying, man, that day is coming and you don't know when it is. And we all live like tomorrow's guaranteed. I'll put it off for tomorrow. Yeah, maybe I'm just waiting for the right moment. Maybe next week, maybe next month. Yeah, eventually I want to get this thing out of my life. I want to do better in this area. I want to grow in this. But, you know, I'm just pretty busy right now. We all treat time like it's never going to run out. We all talk about Jesus' return like, yeah, I know you say he's coming back quickly, but, you know, maybe that's like my, my children's children's time. Instead of embracing the reality that it could be Today. It could be tomorrow. And when you begin to think in those terms, like if all I had left was today, you begin to rightfully so take heed and be a little more serious about the decisions you make and the conversations you have and how you go to sleep at night. Because if I close my eyes and I never opened them again, there are a couple things I need to share. There are a couple things I need to do first. He says that we need to take heed, and then he says that we need to watch. Because you don't know when it's happening, you need to watch. You need to have your eyes wide open. You need to be looking at what's happening around you. Some of your variations of translation might say, be alert or keep watch. The word literally there used means to lie awake or to be without sleep. And the idea behind watching is more than just keep your eyes open and look. It's that you're doing things while you're watching. Because you're watching, it changes the way you're living. Anyone watching for his return is also going to live in light of that fact that it could happen at any moment. And in their context, they would understand this idea of a watchman. And he's going to talk about the watches of the night that each watchman would have. But they understood that the watchman's duty was to stand in that point of reference above the city where they could see far out and be on the alert, looking for any kind of danger or threat that could be coming. Others might go to sleep, not the watchman. It's his duty. He needs to keep his eyes fixed outside of the gate. Others might be distracted and have conversations, but not the watchman. He's got a duty. And other lives are counting on him to be watchful. Others might take a break, go on vacation, not when your job is to be the watchman and you are in that position, your job is to remain watching. Well, you and I are told by Jesus to be watching, and we cannot afford to stop watching and expecting the Lord to return soon. Because what happens when the church stops looking for his return is we stop living like it could happen now, and it removes the urgency that is necessary in our lives. Far too many of us are putting off things we know the Lord has called us to do because we've lost a sense of urgency. We stopped watching. We've stopped expecting him to to return at any moment. And so we put off what we should have done today till tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And the enemy loves to get you to just put off till tomorrow what you should do today. Now, the watching here is not so you can predict the day or the hour, okay? We've already looked at many that have tried to do that. That's not why he wants you to watch. And it's also not meant to be a watching that causes us to walk around every day in fear. That's not God's heart for you. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The watching is meant to be marked by a joyful anticipation of his arrival. That's why one of the parables we're given is of of a virgin waiting for the bridegroom who is coming to receive her and take her to be with him. That wasn't something they were terrified of. That was a joyful celebration and a wedding that was taking place. And so there was an excitement around it. That's how we should view the return of Jesus. Not scared of that day, not worried it could be today, excited, longing for it, praying as Scripture says, Lord, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We want to see you. We want to be with you. And I'll just say this this morning, if, Thinking about the Lord returning today does invoke fear and worry within your heart. That's not something to ignore. It speaks more to where you really feel like you stand with the Lord today than maybe you're willing to admit. It's not something to ignore. It's also something that's not worth putting off. Because as a believer, the idea of the Lord's return today should excite you. It shouldn't scare you. And if it does, maybe there's some things in your heart that need to be dealt with. Maybe the way you're viewing God is incorrectly. There's no reason a believer in Jesus who is described as his beloved, his bride, his son and daughter and a co-heir with Christ should be scared about getting to see their Savior face to face. But there's a healthy urgency that comes with keeping your mind on the return of Jesus that many of us have lost and need to regain this morning. But not just that we would be watching and living in light of the fact that today could be the day. He also says that you need to be praying. You need to take heed, you need to watch, and you need to pray. You need to be in conversation and communion with the one who's returning. Don't be distant and silent with God while you wait. We've been given a direct line to communion with the Father where we can boldly come into the throne room of grace because of what Jesus did. So let's access it. If Jesus is returning today, I would much rather be found already having a conversation with him when he returns than not. Do you know what's really awkward? When there's a person you haven't talked to in months, and then you see them somewhere, and you were supposed to call them the next day, or you were supposed to hang out, and you're like, oh, this is weird. Hey, uh, sorry about that. Man, but there's nothing... Quite as sweet as when a loved one, a close family member or friend who's been gone on a journey or you haven't seen for a few years, but you're constantly talking and can't wait to see them, and then they return, and here you are face to face, finally back together. It's a celebration. That's how the return of the Lord should be. And we're talking with him. We're, we're longing to see him. We can't wait to be in his presence. And so as that day gets closer and we see the signs around us, we're like, oh, this is good. And then Jesus is coming soon. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. He you shouldn't be shaken or, or troubled. Don't be deceived into thinking He's already come and we missed it. Well, if we shouldn't be shaken and troubled, what should we be? We should be excited. We should be joyful. We should be hopeful and expectant. We should be longing for that day. You know, I think for, for a lot of us, the reality is we've just grown far too comfortable with our lives here. We've, we've grown far too comfortable with our homes here. And we've forgotten that this isn't our home we've forgotten where we belong. We've we've forgotten who we are. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're aliens. This is not our home. We don't belong here on earth. He's preparing a home for us, a place for us. Don't allow your heart to get rooted in this place that's passing away. When we begin to say, no, Lord, delay a little longer, There's a couple more things I want to do. I want a little more time here. We've forgotten who we are and where we belong. And also, we've misunderstood how much better it is to be with the Lord than it is to be here. Because Paul said, man, I long to be with the Lord. It is far better for me to depart and be with Him. To be absent from the body, it's to be present with the Lord. And the glory that will be revealed in us, it's not worthy to compare with the suffering of this present moment. And what would it look like in our lives if we longed for heaven the way he describes it? Like we sing, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. When you fix your eyes on heaven, when you set your mind on things above, when you watch and pray and look for the day of the Lord to come, all of a sudden, the things of this earth, they lose their hold on you, their grip. You begin to see things rightly. It's just money, it's going to burn away, it's going to be gone. I'm not taking it with me to heaven. It's just a car. It's just a home. My reputation, I care more about how I'm viewed in the eyes of Christ than men. So I'm missing out on that game or that show or that moment or experience. But if I'm gaining far more in Christ that's eternal, it's a good trade. And he says, the believer who's watching The believer who's taking serious this moment and his description that he's coming back quickly and you don't know the day or the hour, he says, that believer will be found praying. Praying for the lost who don't have the peace that we have and the hope of eternity with Jesus. Praying for those who have walked away, that they would return, that they would come back. Before his arrival, praying for those who are faithfully following the Lord to not lose heart, to not allow their love to grow cold, to not become distracted by the things of this world. Jason mentioned we saw a video of the Women's Prayer Summit that's starting. There's not a single woman in this church that would not benefit from going to that. I got the opportunity to go to the prayer summit, don't worry, the one that was for men and women, okay? I didn't sneak in the back. And it was such a crucial moment to get to sit and be still and fix your eyes on the Lord, to be in His Word, to sing with other believers. If you're watchful and you're serious about the return of the Lord, Prayer shouldn't be optional in your life, and it shouldn't be something that's only happening before a meal or when somebody's in trouble. Prayer should be a regular, daily rhythm in your life. I long for the day that this church, the biggest service we have is the prayer meeting before church. That when we have a a prayer summit, they're saying, I'm really sorry, I don't think we have enough space for anyone else. Let's be people that are serious about prayer. Because when you start thinking about, well, if the Lord returned this afternoon, how did I want to spend my morning? Was it getting 30 more minutes of sleep? Was it spending 30 minutes in line somewhere to get a drink? And I'm not trying to guilt trip any this morning, unless the Spirit's convicting you and then bring it on, right? All the more. but we need to be people that are serious and watchful in our prayers before the Lord. And I think the vast majority of the people in this room, myself included, could grow in our time of prayer with the Lord. Because if we're going to be serious about His return, we're going to be serious about time and prayer. He tells the disciples here, it's going to be like a man that's going to a far country. And when he goes, he... He leaves his home and he leaves his authority with his servants. And each one of them is given work to do. And he commands the doorkeeper to keep watch. And he says, watch therefore, you don't know when the master of the house is coming back. He didn't give him his arrival time and say, I'm going to be back 4 p.m. Friday. He's going and they don't know when he's returning. And so the watchman is keeping an eye on. And every servant that's been given work and authority is being about their business so that when he returns, he doesn't find them sleeping. He doesn't find them destroying his home or abusing the authority he's given them or neglecting the work. They each have a job and a responsibility and an expectation of how things will be found when he returns. There's a work for us to do while we're waiting and watching for His return. And for some of you, it might be supporting financially what others have done. I just want to say something real quick. How blessed I was by the response of people here at this church after last week's update on missions. I had mentioned one thing, that we needed some funds to help cover the mattresses for the beds in our Bible school in Ghana. And before I could even make my way to the office after service, not only was I coming carrying money that people had given me and told me, this is going towards mattresses, but I get to the office to hear Carol going, man, I've had phone calls, we've had people signing up. That entire amount was funded, yeah. I love that. I love that people are going, hey, that's a part of the work I can be a part of. And maybe I can't take the flight over right now, but I can help fund those mattresses. And those mattresses were funded in five minutes For others of you, maybe it's that you have a gift of hospitality and it's time to open up your home, to start a home group, to start digging deep with people here and putting down roots and building community and being prayerful and watchful together. For other of you, you're already laying down your life. You're protecting and serving the rest of us. There's a security team that's working right now. There are those of you that go out and spend the majority of your week making sure that we feel protected and safe. For some of you, it's teaching and it's educating and preparing the next generation. Maybe it's the work of a deacon. You're working with your hands. You're using your trades and skills to help alleviate the work of those who can't do it themselves. You're helping alleviate some of the work here so that I can teach. But make no mistake, each and every person in this room has been given a work by God. And He's given you authority necessary to accomplish that work. He's empowered you by His Spirit as a believer and He's expecting you to be faithful in that work. You're a steward of a work and responsibility that God's given you. If He returned today... Would you feel satisfied with the work you've done for the Lord? It's a question I've been asking myself all week. Lord, if you were to return today, would I be able to stand before you and wholeheartedly say, I know what words I'm going to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant, because I've been faithful with what you've given me. The giftings you've given me, the calling you've placed on my life, I've been faithful. Can that be true of you today? Because he's given you a work. Some of you are the watchmen. Some of you are working in the parts of the room nobody else will ever notice. Some of your work is very public and some of it's very private. And some of it might seem easier than other people's work. And maybe you look at someone else and go, man, I wish I had that job. Nope. What job has he given you? And how will you be found doing that work when he returns? I know we all long to hear those words Well done, my good and faithful servant. Part of how we remain faithful is by being prayerful, it's by being watchful, it's by being in community with people who help encourage us and strengthen us and remind us to not grow weary when doing good. It's going to be worth it in the end keep running, keep moving forward. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Those that are willing to remain faithful even when no one's looking. Men and women of integrity who do the work when no one else is asking them to, when no one else cares when you feel like, I could stop, and it wouldn't even change anything. But if the Lord's asked you to do it, if that's the job He's given you, remain faithful, be obedient. We have men and women in Scripture who dedicated years of service to the Lord and saw no fruit, but they continued to press on and continued to be obedient to the Lord. Maybe you're just planting seeds. Maybe you're just watering the seeds another man or woman has planted. But be faithful because the Lord brings the increase. He's looking for men and women who will be found faithful, loyal, obedient, that he can show himself strong on their behalf. And he gives some descriptions here of when he might be returning. He says that it could be the evening, which would be 5 to 9 p.m. It could be midnight, which would be 9 to 12 a.m. It could be the crowing of the rooster, which would be 12 to 3 a.m. Or it could be in the morning, from 3 to 6 a.m. And they would know these. These are the four watches of the night for the watchmen. And he's continuing to make clear you have no idea when it's going to be, and you don't know if it's the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, or the fourth watch, but you should be watching, and you should be ready, you should be faithful, you should be working and praying because you've been given a job. Now, there's one thing I don't want to confuse this morning, and that's this, that sleep is not a sin, okay? That rest is possible for believers because the finished work is in Jesus. That we are called to be still and know that He is God, to sit and delight in His presence. And so what I don't want you to do is leave here and say, I cannot enjoy a single moment of my life. When I'm sleeping, I'm in sin. And when I'm sitting and just enjoying God's creation, I'm wasting time. And when That's not what he's saying. That's a gift from God that's possible because the work is finished in Jesus, but he's speaking spiritually of your sleep. To be spiritually asleep is to be neglectful of the work at hand, to be cold and callous to the, the work of the Spirit in your life, to be lulled to sleep by mindless entertainment and garbage that we just justify because it's a movie and It's not that big of a deal. It's just music, and it's just something we enjoy listening to. When we're spiritually asleep, no, that is sinful. That is shameful. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, James says it's sin. But let's not confuse the two. There is a beautiful and sweet rest in Jesus we are meant to experience. Our culture tells you that your value is based on how productive you can be. That's not the economy of God. Your value is based on the fact that you are made in the image of God and not on how much you can produce. Because apart from Him, He says in John, we can do nothing anyway, nothing of real substantial meaning. But when we abide in Him, we can bear much fruit The world says, man, you need to be the Martha that is going and going and doing more and more and more. And Jesus says, no, the better thing is actually to sit at my feet. And so what I'm not asking is that every person leave here with an impossible to-do list that you'll never finish, that you always walk with a guilt and shame that says, I've never done enough, I'll never be enough. In constant competition with the people around you, feeling like they've done more so God likes them better. I'm not as gifted, so I'll never be quite as effective. God uses the weak things to overtake the strong. He uses the fool to confound the wise. His economy is different. But let's be people that are serious and watchful and prayerful and faithful with what he's given us. He knows the time in your day. He knows the energy you have. He knows the gifts he's given you. And he's going to give you something to do that is possible to do in his strength with the time he's given you. Luke 21, 34 tells us to take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life that the day come on you unexpectedly. Don't allow the cares of this life to weigh you down. You get so caught up in the news and social media with every single rumor, with every single new theory and idea about what's going on behind the scenes and all the corruption that's happening we can't know about. And I'm not saying be ignorant, but what I am saying is don't allow those things to weigh you down and forget the greater picture. That the Lord is returning, and there is a greater mission than you being on the in and on the know of every single thing that's going on in our country and our world today. It's to make sure that you're in tune with the Spirit of God, to make sure that you're walking in the will of God, and to make sure you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world that desperately needs to hear it. Don't forget the Great Commission to go and make disciples, because he'll give you a specific work, but that's a general work for each and every person in this room that we should all be fulfilling the great commission. And he ends it with this, saying that what I say to you, I say to all. So for those of you who wanted to sneak out the door and go, yeah, those disciples, man, they had a lot of work to do. No, this is for you this morning as well. He says, and I say it to all, to us reading this morning, watch. The same command he called the disciples to, Couple thousand years ago, he's calling you to this morning. Watch. Now, I went this weekend with a good friend Seth, who's sitting up above. But we went dove hunting. I say we because he's the only one that got any dove. So I just more went dove watching. But we went dove hunting this weekend, and you got to watch for those little sneakers. Right? They are quick, and they're not easy to see. And what I began to learn throughout the day of watching for these doves is that you have to learn to watch for the right thing. Because, I mean, I could have killed a lot of crow. I could have, you know, killed my fair share of other things, but they weren't dove. So you had to learn to be discerning about what are you watching for. And then as the day went on, I begin to see a lot of things differently in light of what our mission was, which was to to kill some dove. And I apologize if you're a bird fan in the room. Uh, They're great. Yeah, very tasty. But when we begin to see a car go down the road... I wasn't thinking, I wonder what kind of car that is. I wonder, you know, how many miles are on it and what year it is. I wonder what their gas mileage is like. When I saw a car, and I'm thinking about it through the lens of word dove hunting, it was like, okay, I can't shoot in that direction right now. Or when I saw water or a bunch of brush, I wasn't thinking like, I wonder that water is swimmable and drinkable. I wonder what the temperature is in that water. No, I'm thinking, okay, there's water, so there might be dove around here. There's brush they might come out of. When we saw a tree line, I wasn't saying, what kind of trees are those? I wonder how long they've been planted. What's the agriculture like in this area? And I'm thinking, okay, there's a tree line where we can stand and we can hide and not be visible as they fly over. Everything you're looking at is through the lens of what your mission is. And also what I begin to notice is that I was ruined the rest of the day on the drive home and the next day because I'm washing my car and then I start talking with a neighbor and do you know what flies over my head? Dove. <laughs> and I was, I don't even remember what the conversation was anymore because I'm like, right? Like I, I've been so tuned now with looking for the dove and I'm driving down the road and oh, there's a dove and oh, there's a dove because you begin to train yourself to be watching for it, and it begins to change how you look at everything else. Now, the longer I go without watching for a dove, I drove here this morning and couldn't tell you if there was a single dove in the sky because I've gone a couple days without practice. Well, the same is true in what God has called you to do to be watchful. If your mission is the Great Commission, as it should be as a believer, and you're called to make disciples and to be faithful with the work He's given you, to preach the gospel, to be faithful with the work He has given you and equipped you for, then you view everything else in light of that mission. So the inconvenient neighbor who keeps coming over and asking for things, that's not an obstacle to the things I want to do today. That's an opportunity for the mission of God. What if all the irritations in our day begin to look like opportunities when we see them through the right lens of what our mission is here? What if the headlines in the news We're less likely to spin us out of control because we know who's ultimately in control and that this is all part of his plan. What if the trash TV and the mindless entertainment that robs way too much of our time became less appealing because my time is limited and I want to redeem it? What if the prayer meeting and that Bible study and that discipleship opportunity and that mission work was more essential and less occasional or optional? Church, he's coming back quickly. And none of us know when. But let's be a people that are ready Let's be people that are taking it serious. Let's be people that are watching and are praying and are being faithful with the work he's given us. So I invite the worship team to come back up. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We're going to take communion this morning together, and I don't know your story. I don't know the motivation that brought you here this morning. I don't know what awaits you as you leave after this service, but here's what I do know is that the Lord's coming back quickly. And if we're going to be watchful and we're going to be serious and we're going to be faithful, it starts right here and right now. And for some of you, if you don't know Jesus, don't delay to change that. You've got an opportunity right here and right now this morning to give your life to Jesus so that you're on the right end of that return. So that when he comes back, you can be excited and and hopeful of that return. Now make no mistake, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you have a a reason to fear that return. Because scripture describes it as the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, when you're a part of his bride, the church, now that's a great day we long for. If you're not, that puts you in the power of darkness at enmity with God. And you have a reason to fear the wrath that is coming. And if you think things are bad now in our world, let me tell you, it's not even scratching the surface of how bad things will get. So you have an opportunity this morning to give your life to Jesus. To surrender your will and your way to his. To admit you're a sinner, to confess and repent of that, to die to yourself, and to live for the Lord. Now he's Lord of all, whether you acknowledge it or not, but you have an opportunity to be a servant of him who finds favor with him and forgiveness because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we're going to take communion to remember today. But also I want to get an invitation to the believers in this room who are in Christ and yet have grown cold. You're not watchful and prayerful You're not looking for the day of the Lord and redeeming the time. You've become apathetic towards it and distracted with other things. You're sleeping spiritually and where there was once steady growth and maturity and heading towards Christ and spending time in communion with Him, you've seen yourself leave your first love and be content with lesser things. You've place too much of your heart and your desires in the things of this world and not in the things of the Lord and the ministry opportunities that once excited you just feel like they're pulling you away from what you really want to do this morning I want to give you an opportunity as well to respond because if we're going to be serious and watchful and prayerful out there, it needs to start in here with the family. So first and foremost, before we take communion together, I want to ask, is there anybody in here who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior that needs to make that decision today? And if that's you, you can stand up, you can raise your hand where you're at, but we want to pray with you. And I'm not going to try and force you Of course, you, that's a work the Spirit of God has to do in your heart. But if that's you, this is your moment. All right, then before we take communion, I want to give this second invitation to those who are believers in Jesus and to those who this morning need to acknowledge where there should have been an alertness and a prayerfulness and a a watching and working. It hasn't been taking place, but today you want to change that and you want to start redeeming the time. I'm going to ask you to stand up where you're at And not so that we can shame you or point the finger at you, but so that we can come alongside you as brothers and sisters in Christ, so that we can leave this place a body, a unit, a group of believers that have one mind and a unified purpose in Christ of what we're living for. And we're not gonna get distracted with the cares of this world and the things that are passing away. We're gonna keep the main thing the main thing. Is there anybody else before we pray that needs to stand up? You know if he's tugging on your heart. So then would you do this This morning, would you make your way over to somebody that is standing? If you can't get to them because they're way far away, extend a hand. But if you're near them, would you place a hand on them and join with me as we pray for them this morning? We're a family in God. We don't do this alone. There's no condemnation in Christ. And we want to support and encourage those that are being bold and walking this out and saying, man, I want to I want a greater awareness, faithfulness, and obedience to Christ this morning. Would you join me as we pray for them? God, we thank you for those who are standing in this room. Lord, we thank you for those who are willing to admit where they're, not where they feel like they need to be with you. And Lord, you know exactly what that is. And you're so good that your Holy Spirit has revealed that to them and And is drawing them back this morning. And God, we pray where the enemy wants to bring guilt and shame that you would remove it. God, we pray that you would fill them with peace and joy and a hopeful expectancy of your return. God, that they would leave here more aware that you're coming back quickly than ever before and that it would change everything God they'd be ruined as they leave this place because everything else is seen through that lens Lord, the work that they were doing complaining frustrated annoyed or apathetic about that was done for you would now be done with excitement and a greater fervency and excellence and diligence because they're doing it for the Lord. God, that you would pour your spirit out afresh and anew on them and that this wouldn't be a work of their own strength that they go out and burn out trying to do, but there would be a greater effectiveness and discipline and discernment and power because your spirit is equipping them for it. And Lord, for those in this room who maybe are still wrestling even with knowing what it is you're calling them to do, I pray your spirit would reveal that. They could leave here confident that there is work out there waiting for them and that they would be obedient and faithful to do it with all their heart unto you. Lord, there's a distracted world out there, but would it not be so among your church? Lord, there's a world out there that's not ready for your return, but would it not be so of your church? Lord, remove the things in our lives that are stealing our focus from you. God, remove the things in our lives that are stealing our affection from you. Lord, would you once again burn that fire in our hearts for you, for your word, for your presence, for your commission. And will we have a fervent love for one another and all that we do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. In Mark 14, we read that as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine." Until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, he's told us to do this in remembrance of Him. And as we take of communion together as the family of God, there's both a looking back and a looking forward that we do. We look back in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, but just as He mentioned here, we also look forward to the day that we will take of communion with Him. And so as we take this this morning, let's take this bread, remembering his body broken for us, that the work is complete in Jesus for our salvation. That the punishment that we deserved because of our sins was placed upon him. But he gave his life freely because he so loved us so that we might experience the freedom and forgiveness in Christ. Let's take the bread together this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your body. Your body that was perfect when we couldn't be. and the sacrifice you were willing to make that we could never make. And the love that you demonstrated for us while we were still sinners, that we only love in return because you first loved us. Thank you for your life given for us. And then we take of this cup we do so in remembrance of his blood shed for us that opens the doors into a new covenant a new relationship with the father where the sacrifice is complete and the blood not only covers but it washes us white as snow let's take the cup together this morning remembering his blood Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your blood shed for us. We thank you for the forgiveness we've received, the new covenant we can enter into, the access to the Father, and the hope of heaven, all made possible by your sacrifice. And Lord, as we look back to see what you've done Lord we also this morning want to look forward to what you're going to do and God we want to be found faithful when you come Lord we long for that day Lord we ask that you would come quickly but Lord we also pray that you would empower us to be faithful today with what you've given us Lord, we've wasted so much time, but we don't want to waste anymore. God, so many days we have gone expecting tomorrow to come. But Lord, we want to live and redeem the time we have today. This is the day that you have made. God, we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Show us what you have for us today. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.